Welcome to episode 7. Do we need a consensus? Uh, welcome back to the Milk Dust Podcast. I definitely miss you guys as in the listeners. Uh, hopefully you missed us as well. I uh, definitely want to welcome back uh, Brother Jamal. Good evening, sirs. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, welcome back, uh, Mr. Joshua. Good evening and what up, though? What it do? And I would welcome back uh, Mr. Dez. However, he is uh, late to the party. Um, so we are going to get started without him. So much to talk about. So many things have happened um, in the time that we were gone. But um, before we even get started, um, I wanted to start with our brand new segment called If You Ever. And if you've ever shared that Southwest was giving out free flights and you liked, followed, and shared that post, you should not be allowed to share political content. If you've ever shared that Nike was looking for ambassadors, if you shared Oprah or countless lottery winners who was giving away random millions of dollars, if you shared Pizzagate or Obamagate, if you shared anything about 5G, you should not be allowed to share anything on Facebook except babies. What I found a lot lately is people will share stuff and then their response is, oh, I was just sharing it. But no, I mean, that's like saying fire in the crowded, you know, crowded theater. Like there's a responsibility behind the information that you're, you know, sharing. And I think I've had enough is enough with us um, just sharing things that aren't real, that don't have, that are unfounded, these conspiracy theories, these, I mean, it's just foolishness. And uh, we got to do better as a people. Hell yeah. I know I saw a dad sharing some of that stuff before. Yeah, man. What the hell y'all talking about? Look like he trying to join in. Huh? Yeah, I, I recall um, Des sharing some stuff about 5G. And um, I had to, you know, I had to call him. You know, I was like, bro, you got to take that down, man. I remember some some hotel stuff, too. Bro. We had a conversation about that. Boy, if y'all don't stop, I'm going to pull up for real on y'all tonight. <laughs> I saw it. Yeah, uh, he uh, he photoshopped a kufi on top of his body. Right? Uh, so. with, the, with, the kind, with the kind of night, with the kind of day that I'm having today, I will pull up on all y'all tonight. Des, I need hey, you. Man, you should have pulled up on a uh, Home Depot workshop so you learn how to put a a, a dresser together properly. Mm. Bro, I wasn't putting the dresser together. The dresser was already together. She wanted me to put in the <laughs> anti-tipping thing. And that's even worse if it took you that long to put that little bitty thing in. You don't know how long it took me, bro. <laughs> was that? Was, did you have? Did you need a stud finder and all that, or you just put it in the wall? Yeah. <laughs> no, I needed. No, you you needed a stud finder because the uh, the screw was like two inches long, so it goes deep in there. Okay. <laughs> so you would. So you was being a responsible parent. I was being a responsible son. Is, the question is, do people have a responsibility to what they post and share on social media? Yes. 
Of course they have a responsibility. I think there's nowhere that's more important about that than when we're having a conversation around celebrity culture because celebrities like to post things that can cause controversy or that misinform people. And then when they are pointed out that they're misinforming people, they have this, you know, shoulder shrug reaction like, hey, man, I'm just sharing what I hear from so-and-so and so. And it's like, bro, you have, you have, you, we have to understand the times right now. More people are willing to follow the advice of celebrities like a Jenny McCarthy about vaccines where she has absolutely no credentials, no experience, and no knowledge about it rather than actual scientists. You have people who are willing to believe, you know, uh, reality TV stars versus experts. And this, this is over a variety of different specified fields. So whether it's history with, or whether it's science with Kyrie Irving and the earth being flat, um, you have a ton of people who are beholden to people that they watch just because they are famous. Not because they are experts in any particular field, but because they are famous. And what, what happens is the entire populace is devolving into a Vox Populi fallacy. And it is almost single-handed. I think people need to, we were talking about earlier in the group chat um, about people uh, seemingly pulling out uh, Amer classic American lit or classic Western literature and just pulling out random quotes and using them to, uh, you know, benefit their whatever part of conversation they want to use is like, is it some kind of empirical proof of their position? Uh, and so a lot of times you hear stuff about 1984. And um, I do think that works of fiction are important and literature is important because that's how we push ideas. Um, but I think that what we also have to do is we have to apply some, some critical thinking to this whole thing. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm frankly tired of hearing from people who cherry pick from certain books, uh, whether it's Orwell or Ayn Rand, um, and they've never read it. <laughs> like, how are you riffing off of stuff that you've never read? I don't understand it. It is crazy, Joshua. And thank you for that, man. Uh, it bothers me so much that, you know, we're willing to share misinformation and some get a kick out of it and some don't. But I just feel like, you know, we all need to figure this out, man. We need to come together as a people and work on an agenda and an agreement so that we can move forward because we're, we're kind of divided and stuck in that. And I believe that division is, is killing us. We're going to die because of it. But I want to push back on that notion with this whole idea that black folks have to agree or die about something. You can use that same idea with any group of people, with any identity group of people. I mean, because white folks ain't a monolith either. Um, but this, but I want to get into deeper. I think how this this idea goes a lot deeper because there there is this idea in the black community where it's like all we need is black folks is to get unified and that will be the key to our liberation. And I'm gonna push back on that and say bull fucking shit. And the reason I say bull fucking shit is because there at no point in our experience in the United States or in the North American continent, have we ever been in a place where all black folks were in the same boat at the same time? 
there have always been black people who have existed on the outer margins of our racial caste system. There were free black folks who had who owned slaves. There were free black folks who didn't have anything to do with uh, abolition. Even during the height of the peaks of slavery, there were free black folks who were newly free and they had no problem shucking and jiving for, to their white benefactor in order to deny the lived experiences of other black folks. And just because there was no unity doesn't mean that that's the thing that kept us bound. The thing that kept us bound was white patriarchal violence. So this whole notion of, man, man, I don't understand why black folks just can't get, get, get together, why we can't get united. That is so counterproductive because uh, even if you look at it from a historical, historiographical perspective of the civil rights movement uh, of the 60s, um, only you know, a lot of people feel like have this notion that all black folks were united during the civil rights movement. And that's utter bullcrap. I mean, it's a canard. Because if you, if you look at the most histor historians who actually studied it, only 10,000 black folks were actively engaged during the civil rights movement for that entire decade, 10,000. 10,000 black folks were able to enact four major pieces of legislation that affected the way that our entire democracy runs off of 10,000 people. And we still have these people in, the, in modern times who have this notion that all we need to do is get unified and then we need to uh, uh, advance a particular agenda. That's, that's nonsense. Advance the agenda. I'm sorry to go on a rant, but. So you're saying advance an agenda uh, regardless of us agreeing to, to it or not? you damn right. I'm sorry. A small group of committed individuals have always been the, the catalyst for change. That's been the same thing for the labor movement. And Joshua can speak, speak to that as clearly as I can. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that it is a mistake to judge success or failure or um, the imminence of success or failure based on consensus. Um, and I don't know that if we are arguing for equal protection under the law and equal justice, um, and, and we go back to the founding documents, uh, what we see is life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness as inalienable rights. And in order for us to say that those are inalienable, it doesn't mean you agree with me or not. And I think that's what, we, that's what we're fighting here, um, not just internally um, in the Black community, but just in, the, uh, in America and society overall is that it seems that large pockets of people, um, including folks that call themselves quote unquote anti-racist, and we could you know, get into um, the uh, Jess Krug and um, the other people that keep popping up as uh, fake black folks, uh, just to put it frankly, um, but you got all these people that are basically trying to use um, like some type of level of domination in order to force people to agree and believe what they believe. It's like, no, there's a whole lot of room over here when you just allow people uh, full personhood, you know? Like, <laughs> that's what democracy is supposed to be about. But what we have is the removal of democracy and the removal of the 
so-called free marketplace of ideas, if that ever actually existed. Um, and what we're forced into is, you know, kind of pick, you know, red or blue, you know, basically like street gangs. Do, do we need a black agenda? I don't think it's a, I, I get a little frustrated with this because a lot of people that I hear and a lot of people that I see post about a quote unquote black agenda, um, they've done no work to advance anything that would resemble a black agenda, number one. Uh, number two, people are always asking, hey, what's going on here? What are we doing about this? How can we say Black Lives Matter when, you know, um, this happened in the hood the other day? And it's like, well, are, are you in the hood, first of all? Because if you, if you were Bingo. in the hood, you would know the response, right? And then the second part of that is, it, it, are you on the ground? Because there are countless organizations and activists and people that are trying to make change, and the thing that they're missing is you. So, like, you loud and wrong, basically, you know? I mean, I don't know. What do you but think? But that's what the internet love. That, that's what the internet love. Have problems that white people don't have. Um, we have problems with our education system. And, yes, the education system is flawed across the country. But you would have to agree that it's worse in our communities. Um, we have over-policing. We have, I, I feel like, over-addiction um, in our communities. Um, so when we have to, when we put an agenda together, there has to be something that spe speaks specifically to those items um, and remedying them. But there needs to be a consensus on what it is. Uh, me and Joshua was going back and forth earlier today, and I never even gave what I felt as though would be the right thing to do. But um, Joe Biden said something to the effect that uh, if you were caught as a drug user, you would have a mandatory rehab. And Joshua said. Uh, oh, well, I said it's, uh, you know, it sounds like a drug prison to me, which is in a nicer name. So then I asked the question, what is the current procedure if someone gets arrested or detained? Um, as a drug user. Well, that's not really what you asked, though. No? And, no, 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 no. And so you said, what, so when, when you said, what's the, what's the current alternative? And I said, well, so I'm asking for clarification. Is that you want to introduce a new type of prison? And the reason why I withdrew from the text because I was seeing that was going nowhere fast because it seemed that the underpinning of what you were saying, which you followed up in a couple of text messages later, was what happens when someone gets arrested for drug use. And the basic premise of what I, where I'm coming from is that people shouldn't get arrested for drug use at all. I don't understand why we criminalize people who are self-medicating. I just it doesn't make sense to me, and it doesn't make sense to most of the world. Um. Okay. Uh, so what should happen? Nothing? Is that so, part, uh, to the drug user? Right? To the drug user? I think that's a false choice fallacy there. That, right. Because, <laughs> just because Joshua is not in favor of a drug rehab prison uh, or a uh, rehabilitation penal system by another name doesn't mean, hey, we throw up our hands and do nothing. 
there are tons of things that we can do as an ethical and compassionate society to help people who are harming themselves by uh, the addictions that they, you know, are, are experiencing. But, you know, ma making, making rehab mandatory is a, is and very easily can be a slippery slope, especially yep. in the penal, especially in the penal state that we live in right now, because if we make rehabs mandatory, then the workers inside of those rehabs will operate the same way that corrections officers operate within prisons. Yeah. And then another thing I think about is, would you say that drug dealers are predatory, Corey? Uh, no. Um, you wouldn't I feel, say they're, they're predatory? I feel no. I feel like a rapist is predatory. A drug dealer, you know, people are asking. What is a rapist? Why, how is it? What is, go ahead. I'm sorry. People, people are asking for drugs, right? Um, people aren't asking to be raped. So when I think a predator, that's what I, I, that's what I think. So if I'm not asking for it, I'm not being preyed upon? Uh, I'm, I'm sure that it, there are semantics. Um, can play a part in that in that dialogue okay then let's let's say this is the is the drug illegal yes and if the drug is if the drug is illegal then the person bringing the drug to me is the person that is being penalized not me for using that drug never mind but i, I got off my point i think drug drug dealers are predatory right i think they prey on the addictions and the sickness of others in a community where they know um mainly in communities where they know uh, that addiction and that sickness is prevalent. Um, and that's why you rarely see any of the white collar drug dealers get arrested for anything that's always in our communities, right? Because they know this, they're being predatory. So I'm not going to then advocate for our legal system to prey on the same people that the drug dealers are preying on to begin with. That's just, that's just my thought process on it. So these people that have this addiction, this problem that are being preyed upon, in your words, how do we resolve it, or we do, or do we not? I I think all of that begins. Um, do we not offer them help? Do and I know I sound like a broken record. I think programs in place, but mandatory incarceration, which is exactly what mandatory rehab is, is not a program that I I would advocate for. I think you can put. Um, voluntary drug rehab programs in place. I think you can put things in place um, with our youth. I know it's not like a broken record, record, but I always think it comes back to our youth. I think that think a lot of people, most drug addicts I know, something started and something sparked that addiction um, in the younger ages. And so I think there's programs that we can put in place early on. I think there's a lot of different programs you can put in place other than mandatory incarceration. Mm-hmm. And and if we go back to, you know, my, the way that I analyzed um, or assessed, you know, the question of like, okay, well, what should we do with them, you know, uh, if they are committing these quote unquote crimes, right? Um, and, and if we're talking about mandatory drug rehab, well, the same way that we have to feed, um, you know, the uh, mass incarceration system uh, is the same that we have to feed a drug rehab program. So, yeah. you know, you look at the people that are criminalized in this, in, in our current scenario, uh, to go to what I guess Joe Biden sees as, um, I don't know, I guess a more compassionate 
way of dealing with it. I, I, I can't, um, I don't want to get off topic, so I won't go into, you know, too many, too many bird trails or, or rabbit trails there, but, um, you know, it, it's like they still need inputs and they're still going to have, uh, you know, facilities set up with staff and there's still going to be people determining who goes and who doesn't, um, you know, and there's still going to be bodies um, shuffled in and out of, of the system. And one thing that we don't talk about enough is that when bodies leave communities, there's a tear in the fabric of the community. And that is something that our society currently does little to nothing to heal that repair. And so that's something that I think you always got to consider whenever there's some kind of separation of some kind, um, you know, does this person have a, have a, a current employment? You know, what happens to their job if they go away for, you know, any amount of time? Uh, I mean, right. that's, there, there's a lot, to me, there's a lot more questions than answers, which is why, like, you know, personally, I just, I just don't understand why Joe Biden and the Democrats are like, no, nobody's even asking for this stuff that they're talking about, you know, in, in this, in this arena and the stuff that they are asking for, um, which is, Hey, look, you know, even people who are not police abolitionists are saying, Hey, look, it only makes sense for us to defund the police. Just some. Right. Um, but he's like, you know, no, Donald Trump is the only one that wants to defund the police. I want to give him more money. And I'm like, how is this a winning strategy? I don't get it. Speaking of defund the police, the uh, article that was shared today regarding the uh, Rochester Police Department, uh, pretty much all of the top brass is stepping down over, um, hey, what is the brother's name that got killed? Um, that definitely needed uh, mental help when- Daniel Cruz. Daniel Cruz. Um, butt naked in the cold in March in upstate New York. Um, and I don't think y'all understand that type of cold. I definitely do. I grew up in Denver, so. Okay. You're right. That's right. I forgot we got Denver and Wisconsin here. My bad. And I'll travel and to also Syracuse to work every every four times a year. Okay. okay. What did you want to say, Dad? And I was born in Detroit, so I know something about cold, bro. I knew it was something off about you, dog. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. So many things. It's so cold sense. in the D. I knew so something was off, you know. Uh, I knew it wasn't just the, the, the sad DeKalb County. I knew it was another D involved. <laughs> uh, bro, hey. your, your, your hatred for the east side will not go unpunished. <laughs> mm. Uh I think uh, this is a important and interesting dialogue, um, and there's no—I don't think there's any right or wrong answers. I think um, the place that Joe Biden was trying to come from, as you said, even though no one was asking for that, was maybe um, adding on to the opioid crisis, the opioid, opioid epidemic, if you will. But I think that um, when it comes to agreeing on things. Um, that is probably why the NBA wasn't able to put together any real uh, tangible uh, results from the walkout strike that lasted a couple of days. No, I, I think about it differently. So I think 
even with with Biden's stance about you know funding the police and giving them more money, that is very clearly a a a strategy meant to appeal to moderates and to conservatives who are afraid that the scary liberal Marxist Dems are coming to uh, you know you know coming to uh, uh, middle America near you with their anarchy and Antifa and and the gangs and drugs and the and the transgender uh, gang black gang members coming to their door. So I think that's part of Biden's greater strategy is to appeal to them in order to in order to widen the gap. And I think also from a practical perspective, there's not much a president can do to affect local police offices and budgets in any state in any city in the union. That's something that has to be done at the local level. They, they can't affect uh, they can affect budgets, but they can affect funding. Yes, they can affect some federal spending, but even with that, that's not going to be something that Biden's going to have his finger on. There are going to be so many other things that Biden has to worry about uh, if his administration wins than undoing what Trump has already done in so many different areas. Like, there's so much massive grift that has taken place with the Trump administration. It'll take us five years or more to find all the ways where they have stolen and pilfered this country. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely agree on that. Uh, I think from from a from an electoral position, though, I wonder what the actual strategy is if they are saying that they want progressive voters and they want disaffected black voters, but they are doing things that are not necessarily um, lining up with what uh, these what a lot of folks are saying they want. They're not even talking about them. They're actually saying the opposite. And with that, it seems that a lot of this stuff is unforced errors. How can you look at what's going on right now in Trump's America and not just put it back on Trump? Like that's, <laughs> you know, it's like, you don't have to fight on his ground of, hey, look, you know, Biden wants to defund the police. It's like, look, man, you're not even qualified to do this. This is what's happening in your America, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that that's where I, that's what I'm thinking is that I know so many people that are on the fence because they're like, hey, look, I'm unplugging from this two-party system. Like, I'm either going to vote third party or not vote at all, or, I'll, or I won't vote at the top of the ticket. And, you mm-hmm. know, I can't say I, I I don't get mad at him. I can't. Yeah, I, I think I think the I think the trouble that uh, Joe Biden has or any uh, traditional candidate will have with the term defund the police is it's almost anti-American. Now, getting into the details of saying, you know what, we shouldn't have police officers uh, responding to welfare checks or to um, people that are clearly um, maybe mentally disabled. Um, that's a part of defund the police, right? But saying that people can agree on, but saying defund the police, they don't. So I think the the issue is being able to walk that tightrope and make it appealable to the masses um, or digestible to the masses because saying defund the police 
will go against everything that America was technically built on. Yeah, I think there's enough consensus on that side to say that Biden isn't going to lose any points with moderates or conservatives. Uh, he's definitely losing points. or He's already lost points and lost trust or never had trust with true progressives and liberals. But that is what it is. Everybody who is going to be a progressive or a liberal is going to pinch their nose and vote for him. And those who aren't, um, there's going to be some quite a bit of consternation from those from uh, the center. But I don't think it's going to be enough of them that refuse to vote or vote third party that will affect the outcome of the election the way that it did back in 2016.